0: I'm I'm sitting today. I think that's unhealthy. Now, did you know that? They say sitting is the new smoking. That seems kind of extreme, doesn't it? Like when I was younger, um, smoking was 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 when I was younger, more people smoked, Um, and uh, but but we knew it was naughty, right? You kind of knew that smoking was kind of naughty, but but sitting, like. Sitting's the new smoking. That's like laying down is the new murder, or something like that. So, anyway, I'm being really unhealthy today. Uh, good morning, everybody. My name is Tim Power. I am uh, the pastor of the, the modern worship here at Salem. And I want to welcome you and thank you for being here with us. Uh, a couple of things I wanted to let you know about. We are going to be starting Total Tuesdays, which you've heard me talk a little bit about. That's going to be starting September 12th, and that is our opportunity to get in here and to get to know each other a little bit better. So we, we all we have several classes. I'm going to be doing a small group um, that's going to start at 5:30 that is going to be uh, studying our, our first uh, book study is going to be called Forgotten God, which is a book about the Holy Spirit and it's going to be really, really fun. Uh, there's going to be nursery care for that. There's also child care and gr- uh, children's classes starting at 6:30 and uh, there's a meal available. there's, youth group available that's going to be starting at 630, and then we, we end the night with a prayer meeting, which is a great opportunity for us to get together and just pray, just seek the Lord. So I want to invite you, and really, if you can, try to make time to be there. It's going to be a great opportunity in any of the classes. They're all going to be great, but this is really how we get to know each other better. This is how we get to grow with one another. Um, so I wanted, I wanted to put that on your radar. Now, we are starting a new sermon series right now called building bridges. Now, did you know that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, it is our duty to build bridges? Look at the person next to you and say, you're a a bridge builder. Does that mean you have to become a civil engineer if you're something else right now? No, it doesn't, but we are called to be builders of bridges. Now, that is countercultural because right now, did you know that we are in a time in our country where people are not interested in building many bridges. We are more interested in building walls than bridges. We're more interested in tearing things down than building things up. So the message of Jesus which tells us that we are to build bridges is a countercultural message, especially in this day and age. Now, um, I'm going to give you some, some scripture to, to prove that we are people that are called to build bridges. Uh, Psalm 34, verse 13 says this, Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Now, I want to hone in on that word peace. Do you know what the Hebrew word for peace is? It's shalom. Did you know that your church name is actually based upon that word? Salem is based upon this word Shalom. I know you've maybe maybe you have heard somebody say shalom to you, peace to you. I want to explain though that the word shalom doesn't just mean peace. Uh, is if you were were to ask a a rabbi what shalom means, you would you would find that they they have a very different understanding of peace. It doesn't just mean an absence of violence. That's kind of what we tend to think peace means, right? We're just not punching each other in the face. But the the actual word shalom is much deeper than that. The word shalom actually means that all of God's creation is interconnected, interwoven, interdependent. And that, that is shalom, when all of God's creation is working together for the good. Now, I brought this. This is kind of my uh, Linus blanket. Um, this is a prayer shawl. When I was going through training... Uh, to, to become a, a licensed pastor in the United Methodist Church um, I was given this by my mentor uh, Reverend Linda Pagel and she gave this to me. Someone in her church actually made this. Now this is a fabric and this is woven together. Now if I were just to take a, a bunch of loose uh, pieces, of, uh, uh, pieces of yarn and throw them up here would that be a fabric it's, n- it's not rhetorical, you can answer. No, it wouldn't. If they were just all these loose pieces of yarn, that would be all the materials necessary, but it wouldn't be a fabric. But look what happens when you take all those pieces and they're interwoven many, many times over and interconnected. Now, a couple things happen when, that, when you do that. For one, you get this, which is much stronger because they're interwoven and interconnected. You get something that is warmer, And you get something that's much more beautiful. And this is a picture of shalom, okay? Shalom is when everything is interwoven and connected. So we, as the people of God, are called to bring shalom to our world. You are called to bring shalom into your workplace. You're called to bring shalom into your family, into your home, into your marriage, into every place where you come into contact with people, you are called to bring peace. And that's not just a lack of violence, it's something much more deep, more beautiful than that. Now, today we're going to be talking about building bridges in our every day. And I want to read this from Romans chapter 12. And this is the message version. So this is a, uh, a, a paraphrased version in more of a modern language, but this is great. This is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, uh, develops well-formed maturity in you. So God has called us, right, to build bridges in our everyday, in our home in your work, in the park, did you know you can build bridges at the Cardinals game? That you can build bridges at the grocery store? That you can build bridges at the DMV? I'll bet some people are surprised at that. They say there's no God at the DMV. Let me frame this another way. Building bridges means connecting others with you. Yes, that's true. But even more importantly than connecting others with you, it means connecting others with God through Jesus Christ. That means sharing your faith with people. Now, there is a church word for this which is really scary to people, and it's called evangelism. Have you heard that word? Scary, right? I've got a little evangelist in my in my household, my son Max. He's 10 now. When he was in kindergarten, it was the first time that he shared the gospel with somebody, and boy, he did it in a bombastic way. Um, he came off the bus one day, and he had a friend on the bus that he sat next to named Kevin. And he came home one day very happy. He said, I shared the gospel with Kevin. I said, oh, wow, that's really great. I said, well, well tell me about it. What happened? He said, I told him that if he believed in Jesus, that he can go to heaven for all of eternity. And I said, that's that's awesome. And then he said, but then he said, yeah, that's, that's what I told him. And then I said, well, what else did you say? Did he have any questions or anything? Yeah, he said, he said that he was excited about it, but that his parents, they don't know about Jesus. So where are they going? And then he said, I said, well, well what did you tell him? He said, I told him they're going to hell. <laughs> and I said, well, how did he respond to that? He said, oh, he started crying. And I said, well, what did you say then? And then he said, I just told him, remember what I said. I love, I love raising little Pharisees. Some people don't, don't like this idea of evangelism because here's the thing. They don't like the idea of sharing their faith with people because they don't think that they can do it in, in, in a real great and appropriate way. They think that I, I, I can't really share my faith. I, I don't know how that's done. I don't really know how to do that. I don't know how to preach. Well, here's the thing. You're preaching every single day. Everybody in this room is a preacher. I want you to say that to your neighbor, just like you said, you're a bridge builder. Say, you're a preacher. You might not know it, but you're preaching every single day. You are preaching a gospel message. But sometimes all of us are preaching a gospel message that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of us are preaching a gospel of self ambition. Some of us are preaching a gospel of putting other people down. Some of us are preaching a gospel of me first, you second. So we are all preaching a gospel. So here's the question that I want us to think about today. I want us to think about this. What message is my living giving? What message is my living giving? So uh, a guy much smarter than me, St. Francis of Assisi said this one time, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. So, so what is how, how you're living your life? Did you know that that preaches a gospel, maybe even more so than the words that you use? What message is my living giving? Now, I want to also note the fact that he doesn't say preach the gospel, but don't use words. Sometimes words are necessary. Now, before we go any further, I want to establish something. Because I think for some people, uh, understanding why sharing your faith is important uh, is troublesome. Why is that important for me to share the fact that I believe in God, that I believe in Jesus, that I believe that I'm saved through a faith in God? Well, I think it's important that we understand the why. The why is this, is that Eternity is real. Eternity is real. You are going to spend eternity somewhere. We are all going to spend eternity either with God or not with God. Daniel 12.2 says this. Many of those who sleep in the dusty land, he's talking about death. He's talking about many of those who are dead, will wake up. Some to eternal life, others to shame and eternal Disgrace. Now, what is the separator? What, what, what's the thing that separates people who are going to spend their time in eternal life with God or without God? Well, John 3.16, we all probably know this scripture. It's one that a lot of us learn when we're children. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, so that everyone who believes in him won't perish but will have eternal life. Um, I had lunch with a friend recently, uh, I hadn't seen him since high school, that was a long time ago for me, um, so I haven't seen him actually, he, he didn't even go all the way through high school with me, and, uh, I connected, he, he had lived, uh, all over the world, um, and, and came back to St. Louis, and, um, he's working, uh, in St. Louis now as a, as a researcher for, for, uh, for, a Barnes Hospital, um, and, uh, we we went to lunch and he 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 was asking me what I'm up to and I told him that I'm I'm a pastor now, and he said well what kind of church is it he he is we went to a Christian school but uh, he's kind of he feels that he's outgrown Christianity and he said so well what kind of church is it And I said uh, it's United Methodist and he said oh good, and I said well what do you mean by that and he said well I know that United Methodists they're they're kind of more intellectual, and they don't believe in some of the you know, more loony parts of Christianity. I said, well, well, what kind of things don't we believe? And he goes, well, you probably don't believe in the devil or hell or uh, virgin birth. And I, I was like, well, actually, I do believe in the virgin birth, and I do believe in the devil, and I do believe in hell. Now, I think what becomes a little bit difficult for some of us is that we have preconceptions about what these things look like or actually are. And, and so we, we, we have cartoony ideas about heaven and hell. And actually, uh, a lot of us, if you're like me, maybe your idea of hell, you got it from the far side cartoons. And actually, I brought my two favorite hell far side cartoons. This is a good one. Oh man, the coffee's cold. They thought of everything. And welcome to heaven. Here's your harp. Welcome to hell. Here's your accordion. I am sorry if we have some accordion players here. Watch this be the one Sunday where the accordion guild of, of the world comes to Salem for church on Sunday morning. So if, if this is your concept of what hell looks like, then, then you might think that that uh, stretches what you could believe in because it's a cartoon. It just seems so unbelievable. But he, what we understand about hell and heaven from the Bible is really just this. We, we get imagery but imagery is just trying to explain what is really unexplainable. What, what heaven and hell really are is heaven is this, is you are spending an eternity with God, in communion with God. Hell would be this. Hell would be a divorce from that. You spend eternity apart from God. And I can't tell you what that looks like, and, and I'm not going to try. I can just tell you this, is that I know from my own life is that I only have hope because I know God. And I only have joy because I know God. And to be apart from that would be hell to me. And so um, C.S. Lewis calls hell the great divorce because a divorce is a separation. And so in his mind, hell is not necessarily this place with with fire and and devils with pitchforks poking at you. It's an absence of God in your life. That's what hell is. Now, he says this about hell, and this is profound. He said, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it is opened. So what he's saying is that hell is something we choose. It's it's that we choose to be apart from God. He, He has another great line where he says that hell is a prison with the doors locked from the inside. Now, the problem is, I think that a lot of Christians, even if they do believe in hell, we don't act like it. Even if we do believe in an eternity apart from God, separated from God, we don't treat it like that, and we certainly don't share our faith like it matters to other people. A lot of us, uh, uh, there there was a great episode of Seinfeld, and I'm going to share a clip, because I I think this is hilarious, where, uh, if if you remember Seinfeld, I know this really dates me, um, Elaine uh, had, had a boyfriend and he, she found out through someone else that he's a Christian. And she's not a Christian. She doesn't believe in any of it. But, but she, she's uh, kind of insulted that if he's a Christian, he didn't share that with her. Uh, and if he really thinks she's going to hell, why, why didn't he talk to her about it? And so um, I, I want to share this clip real quick. So where do you want to eat? Feels like an Arby's night. <laughs> Arby's. Beef and cheese and... Do you believe in God? Yes. Oh. So, you're pretty religious. I try. So, is it a problem that I'm not really religious? Not for me. Why not? I'm not the one going to hell. Well and they forgot to deliver your paper today. Why don't you uh, just grab that one? That belongs to Mr. Potato Guy. That's his. Come on, I get it. Well, if you want it, you get it. Sorry. Thou shalt not steal. Oh, but it's okay for me. Oh, what do you care? You know where you're going. All right, that is it! I can't live like this! Oh no. All right, what did I do? David, I'm going to hell. The worst place in the world. With devils and those, those caves and, and the ragged clothing. And the heat, my God, the heat. What do you think about all that? It's going to be rough. Oh, you should be trying to save me. Don't boss me. This is why you're going to hell. I am not going to hell. And if you think I'm going to hell, you should care that I'm going to hell, even though I am not. You stole my Jesus fish, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I think that's hilarious. But here's the thing. A lot of us kind of live like this, where even we believe in this idea that we can be saved, that we can live in eternity with God, the creator of the universe, and yet we don't want to share it. Now, here's the problem. Here's why I really, and I I don't uh, preach about hell all that often. And there's some churches where that's all you'll ever hear about is hell, uh, fire and brimstone and all of that. Um, I I think it's important not to dwell on that because this, the message of Jesus is a message of love. And you are not going to um, enter into much of a deep relationship with Jesus if you enter that out of fear. Okay, and we, we've been, we just finished a sermon series all about fear. And I think that fear is a terrible motivator to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, um, I, I, um, I'm dad of the year. I feed my kids every day. Now, I do not feed my kids because I'm afraid of the state coming into my house and punishing me for that. I, I feed my kids because I love my kids. And, and love is a much greater, much deeper motivator than fear. But here's the thing. If you love the people around you, don't you want to share the joy of knowing Jesus with the people around you? Um, I want to talk real quick about a couple of practical ways that we can share our faith in Jesus with the people around us. The first is this. We can bridge people to Christ. We can preach the gospel by living the gospel and I said that earlier, what message is your living giving? How you're conducting yourself preaches a gospel message. So what is that message that you're putting across? The second is this. You can preach the gospel for pray, by praying for or praying with, not for, those in crisis. And that's, that's a key distinction in that, by praying with, not for. Here's, here's I, I, I think we, we sometimes say this, and it's, it's problematic, I think, when Christians just do this. If you hear somebody's in crisis in their life, and you say, I'll, I'll, I'll be praying for you. Why can't you stop right then and pray with them? Have you ever thought about that? Why can't you stop now? I know that's a little scary for some people if you don't have words, but it doesn't take much. It's a really encouraging thing when people are in crisis to just be able to say, God, I don't have any answers, but I know you do. And pray for that person. Just pray, God, help us help this person. That's an amazing way to share your faith. My, my wife was really great at this in her workplace. Uh, uh, she she stays at home with our kids now, but she, for a long time, she she worked in, in office. And uh, she would have people come to her a lot that would have crises going on in their lives. And um, she it was funny because I would say, well, what did you tell them when they said that? She said, I had no answers for them. So I said, let's pray. And it's unbelievable how powerful that impact is on people because you don't have answers, but God does. And taking them to the source of all knowledge is a powerful thing. And that's a way that you can bridge people to God in a very simple way. Again, you don't have to have answers. You don't even have to be great at praying, but it tells people that you care if you pray with them. And the third thing is this, is you can preach the gospel by telling your story. We, we did a uh, sermon series about telling stories. Stories are more powerful, you know, did you know this, than data. I think I shared the, the, the research uh, that uh, some sociologists have come up with recently that if you're trying to convince somebody of something that they don't believe, you're much more likely to convince somebody with a story than you are with data. They say that data does not convince people, but stories do. Uh, that reminded me of uh, a, a guy named Francis Collins. He's a he's a physician and uh, researcher. Actually, he was one of the heads of the Human Genome Project. Uh, this is a book he wrote. It, Really impacted me it's a great one to pick up if you're uh, especially for folks that have trouble believing he's uh, one of the best scientists in the world, uh, also a follower of Jesus and uh, he tells a story about how he, he went to college and medical school being an atheist okay He grew up in a house that there weren't any believers and and it's funny. He, you would think a guy like this who's so um, uh, data-driven that he would have to find facts about Jesus uh, in order to believe. But what really changed him was when he would be treating patients in, in rural settings, he would find these people that he would he would have to and, and this is sometimes one of the, the really tough parts about being a physician if, if there's any physicians you might you, you know this burden, he would have to tell them that they have a terminal diagnosis and often he would meet these people in these rural settings where he would share the fact that they were in a, had a terminal diagnosis and it didn't destroy them in fact they were able to share their faith with him they shared their story about how Jesus gives them hope and beyond all of the data and anything else this is what turned him to Jesus the fact that people who were hopeless had hope and and so a story can change a life your story can change someone's life now here's one thing I think that's worrisome for some people I know I know this is my case because I grew up in a Christian home um my father-in-law, has one of the greatest conversion stories. He was a heroin addict who was knocking over drug stores. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty rough stuff, right? And so that was, that was his past, and then his, uh, he was led to Jesus by his uh, parole officer. Now, that's a story that can change some lives, right? And so I've, I've sometimes felt like, well, I don't have a story like that. And, and maybe some people are in this room and they, they feel like, well, I, I mean, I, I believe in Jesus and I feel like Jesus has changed my life, but I don't have a story like that. I wasn't knocking over liquor stores and then met Jesus. But think about this. It's not your story that's gonna change lives. It's the fact that the God of the universe sent his only begotten son into the world to save you. That's what's gonna change lives. That you have a relationship with the God of the universe, the creator of all things, that's what's going to change lives. And you have a story that can change someone's heart and bridge the gap between them and Jesus. Now, I, I this is a really uh, interesting way. I, I was, I was, I, I've always found it interesting. There's a thing called, when I was a salesperson, uh, we were told to always have an elevator pitch. You know what an elevator pitch is? It's basically... Uh, uh, a pitch that you can give to somebody in an elevator ride, okay? And I think uh, there's, there's um, uh, in, in uh, First Peter, it talks about having, um, being prepared uh, to tell your reason for the hope that lies within you. Now, I, I think this, this is a great way to do it. Uh, it's called before, how, now, and this is a way that you can develop your story if you don't have a way to tell your story to people. And it's basically this. What was your life like before you knew Jesus? Could you verbalize that briefly to somebody? That, that before I knew Jesus, I just didn't have a lot of hope that, that I was wandering from this thing to that thing. How? How did you come to know Jesus? Did somebody tell you? Were you listening to The radio and and you heard the message of Jesus, were were you at church and somebody preached the message of Jesus? How did you come to know him? And then now, how is your life different? How do you have hope? What's different now about your life? Before, how, before, how, and now. Now, if you can put that into words, you could change a life just by telling your story. And believe me, your story is a powerful one. Now, I am also aware of the fact that there are probably some people in this room who don't have a before how now because you haven't come into relationship with Jesus. So briefly, I just want to share the gospel. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing anything about uh, the gospel of Jesus. It's really simple. It's that we're all sinners. Is anybody in here not a sinner? Okay. Well, sometimes Christians are, are called um, are called judgmental because we call everybody sinners. Well, we we really believe that we are all sinners. The the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of, of the glory of God. Now, that means that everybody has sinned at some point in your in their lives. That's not being judgmental. It's just stating a fact. We've all fallen short of of the mark, but we all Have a Savior in Jesus Christ. We believe that God took on the punishment in the in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross, and that we can know God. And you can know God this morning if you haven't yet. In fact, we're going to be taking communion. And that this tells the story of what Jesus did. He broke his body for us so that the punishment that we deserve, just because we're sinners, fell on Jesus instead of us. It's not judgment it's grace. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is that we have grace. And because of that, we live our lives in a way that bridges the gap between people.